The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. That's the first time I've ever had someone introduce me by saying, give him a hand of applause. (laughs) Most of the time is give him a hand out the door. There are differences, you know. It's good to see you. Good to be here with you. The last time I was here, does anybody remember what I preached about? Well, you're a typical Baptist congregation. How to get rid of the pastor. And the things that we talked about then, about the humorous part of it, trying to help people to realize God expects us to support our pastors. And I want to commend you for being a, a... not an abnormal church, but in a sense you're abnormal, and that Brother Jake has been with you how many years now? 39? <laughs> Sometimes it seems like 39, doesn't it? I was fixing to say, you're closing in on 20. Right. Yes. Do you realize that the average Baptist pastor stays anywhere from two and a half to maybe five years in a local pastorate? That's the reason I say you're an abnormal congregation. Because there are some, it's like a, I had a pulpit committee come and talk to me when we lived in Central Texas, and they had seen in a book that we had won lots of people to Jesus and baptized them. They came to visit with me, and I said, how long was your last pastor with you? And they said, two years. And I said, what about the one before him? Two years. And I said, the one before him, two years. We only let a pastor stay for two years. And we want to come and see if you'd be interested in coming and being our pastor. Now, hello. Somewhere there's communication breakdown. Am I right? And so as a result, it's been proven that the longer a pastor can stay with the church and they, the pastor and the church, work together doing God's work, the churches grow and do better and have a stronger witness for Christ in the community and in the world. And that's the reason I say you're an abnormal church. You have, thank you, that's exactly right. Praise God for it. That's a blessing from God. The people at Emmanuel suffered my preaching for 26 years. And a lady asked me one day, she said, I bet when you retired, there were people who cried, didn't they? And I said, well, not many. And she said, oh, now, I bet they did. I said, there were some. I said, but there were the others who sat on their hands to keep from clapping God is doing some wonderful things in our world today. In spite of what we hear on television, in spite of what we see in the papers and so forth, I want you to know God's at work in our midst. Amen? That's a sorry amen. Amen? All right. That came, come on, you guys. You need to help me this morning. And as a result, we're facing an election that's coming for our, our community and our country. And, and a while ago, you made the statement that we're facing things, but God's in control. Now, listen to me. Please hear what I'm fixing to say. God has a perfect will, but God also has a permissive will. God may have a person he would like to be president, but because of the wickedness of man, we may choose a person that God does not want. And when things begin to happen, don't go back and say, well, God, this is the will of God for us. No, God's will was for Adam and Eve to stay in the Garden of Eden and all of us be there. Are you with me? 
This means yes. This means no. Are you with me? See, God's will was for them to stay together. But he also gave them the freedom of choice, the freedom of will to make their own decisions. And as such, we all have a bone to pick with Adam when we get to heaven, don't we? And as a result, there's God's perfect will, there's God's absolute will, as you want to call it, or there's God's permissive will. And this is where we live, in that permissive will area, because God says, you, you go out here and step in front of an 18-wheeler that's coming down the highway in which he's doing about 90 miles an hour. He can't stop on a dime. You get in front of him, and people say, well, it was God's will for them to die. No, they just chose to do that. God's will may have been they die at a ripe old age in bed somewhere at 102. My mother's 102, and she's determined she's going to outlive all of us kids, and there's four of us. And my mother's a great person of faith, has always been a great person of faith. Do you realize, though, that God wants to bless his people? Many people say, well, we got to pray and ask God to do this. Folks, listen, God's in the blessing business. And I want us to think about that this morning. You see the scripture that's up on the, on the screen, and it's from the book of Luke. Luke chapter, what do I have here, chapter 6? No, chapter 11, I'm sorry. I want us to read this together because Jesus had just been teaching them about prayer and he had given them what's called not the Lord's Prayer, it's the Lord's Model Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is referred to as the High Priestly Prayer is in John 17, just before he goes to the cross. And here Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer and about their relationship with the Father And he talks about what the Father wants to do for them. So would you read this with me? Would you join me in standing as we read from God's Word? It says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, And I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend. Yet, because of the man's boldness, He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Watch of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
May God add his blessing to the word as we have read it. Thank you. You may be seated. The last statement that Jesus makes is the one I want us to think about. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your loved ones, your children, think what the Father wants to do for you. Now, sometimes we talk about meditating. And we need to be people who meditate on the Word of God. Now, do you know what the word meditate means and where we get it and so forth? It comes from the Greek word, which means to ruminate. How many of y'all ever ruminated? Huh? That's one of those things, if you look at a child and say, I saw you ruminating, oh, they'll cry. But if you want to impress the Methodist, you tell them you heard about ruminating today in church. And they'll be impressed with you. One of my favorite lines is from that movie, A River Runs Through. And it's the story of a Presbyterian minister up in Montana, he and his wife raising two sons in his ministry. And one question was asked to his father by one of the sons. He said, Daddy, what's a Methodist? And this Presbyterian minister looks at him and says, Son, a Methodist is a Baptist who's learned how to read. Now, you'll have to go home and ruminate on that. The word ruminate means to bring it back and to work it over. It's taken from the thought of a cow chewing its cud. It takes in the grass, and when it gets full, the cow goes over and will lay down, and it will sit there and burp it up, and it begins to rework it and rework it, for it adds to the digestive process. That's rumination. And that's what we need to do sometimes. The word meditate actually means to ruminate, to take the word of God and to begin to think about it. For the scripture says, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to do these good things for your children, your loved ones, think what the father wants to do for you. Have you ever stopped to think what God wants to do for you? He wants to bless his people. He wants to bless his church. Now, the word bless means to have a source of joy that is never ending. Now, we can't understand that sometimes because we can have a source of joy going. It may be that, that, that you just have, have been, come, been in, made aware of this great inheritance from a long-lost uncle that you never knew about, and he's left you all these millions about the same time you get a phone call from your, your uh, attorney, tax law people, and he says, we have just gotten a call from the IRS and you are being investigated. Have you ever been checked by the IRS? When you got that letter or when you got that phone call, didn't that just make you happy? <laughs> didn't that just make your day? Didn't that just bless you? Oh, thank you, God. The IRS knows about me. I'm more than a number. They're checking me out. Well, it means to have a source of joy that never ends. And Jesus says, this is what I want to do for you. I want to bless you. I want to bless my people. I want to bless the church so that that as a result of it, God's desire is that as he blesses you, other people will take notice. It's a witness to the world. Sometimes people say, well, I've been very lucky. No, you haven't been lucky. God blessed you. Somebody says, well, I've just been lucky with with long health. No, God has blessed you. 
And we need to give credit to it because many people say, well, I've just been lucky. Folks, there's no such thing as luck. This past week, let me give you an example of God's blessing you. I was fixing to work on a trailer that I had just bought and so forth. I backed my pickup up to it and did some work, couldn't get it fixed. And so I came out and I was going to go to town and I got my pickup and I turned the key. And guess what? Click, click, click. Have you ever had a battery to go out on you? Have you ever had a battery to go out on you somewhere where you wish you weren't and there was no place around to get help? And I thought, oh, my goodness. So I went in. I told my wife, I said, I've got to go to town and get a battery for my pickup because the battery just went dead. She said, well, you just drove it a few minutes ago. And I said, yeah. And it was sitting in the driveway, and it just went dead. It just click, click, click. We'd had an experience like that in Amarillo one day. We were on a vacation, pulled into a 7-Eleven to put ice, get some ice, put an ice chest, put it in there, and got back in the pickup, turned it on. Nothing. Deader than a mackerel. Fortunately, we knew a friend in in Amarillo. He came, had jumper cables, jumped it off, followed me down to Walmart, got a new battery. That battery died just like that. I'm coming back from Walmart with a battery put on my pickup, and I said, thank you, Lord, that I get to spend a hundred and something dollars for a new battery. But thank you, God, that it went out sitting in my driveway. You know what I mean? How many times do we testify to the goodness of God in our hearts and our lives so that people look at us and say, there's something wrong with you? Let me tell you, when we were doing our building program for our big family life center and activity building at Emmanuel, there were some people who lived across the street from us who'd moved in there from the Fort Worth area. And it took us seven years to build that building. Our guys were building it. We saw God do things. It was just unbelievable. When we went into our building, we did not owe a penny. We had a $2.2 million building that we had built for $880,000. It was unbelievable how people came out of the woodwork. And everything in that building, you think, boy, I'm glad we didn't build it. Everything in that building is with a sixteenth of an inch of being square and plumb. Two-story building, gymnasium, the whole thing. It's unbelievable. One day, our guys would always, at 9.30, they would go in and have coffee. And as they're in there having coffee, there was a man who walked in from across the street. And he walked in and he introduced himself to some of these men. He said, "Uh, I've been watching you work. And they said, well, come on in, have a cup of coffee with us. He came in, sat down and went to work and went to drinking coffee, talking with them. They went on back to work. He went back home. The next morning he came over. And as he came in, he said, I'd like to have coffee again. They said, okay. So they started having coffee and talking. And one of our men began to perceive there's something going on with this man. And so when the guys got ready to go, this man looked at him. He said, can I talk to you for a moment? And Steve looked at him. He said, well, sure. What can I do for you? And here's what he said. He said, there's something different about y'all. I worked in a high-pressure job in Dallas with hundreds of people that I was supervisor over. There's something different about you, and I want to know, what is that difference? And Steve looked at him, and he said, why do you say that? He said, because it shows in your faces. And I want what you have. And Steve Gray, a retired man from Campbell's Soup, 
sat there and led, led this man to Jesus Christ. He had left his house, who t- and his wife was there, and, and she wouldn't speak to anybody. And he had left her and said, I'm going back over. I don't know what those men have, but I want it. And so he came in. He met Jesus, went back home and told her. Next Sunday, they're in church. Invitation time comes. Here he comes down the aisle making public his profession of faith. Big old Steve Gray walking with him. I said, what about your wife, Roland? He said, she doesn't want any part of this. I said, okay, that's fine. We'll let God deal with it. And so we took Roland, made his profession of faith public, shared him with with the people, and said we'll be baptizing him in a a couple of Sundays. The next Sunday, invitation time comes, his wife was in church, and here she came. And I said, why have you come, Rinda? She said, I need a change in my life. I don't know what's going on with you people, but whatever it is, I want it. Now think about it. People out on a construction job, their countenance reflects something that's so different that the other people without Christ take note about it. That's what God wants to do in His church through His people. God wants to do a work that is beyond your wildest imagination. He said, think what the Father wants to do. God's not stingy. God says, listen, I will bless you beyond measure. If you go back and read the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy, God had given the law to Moses and Moses had given it to people. One of the things God says, if you go and do my word that I have told you and live the way I want you to live, I will bless you above all the nations of the world. And they will rise and say, truly, they serve the true and living God. God said, you'll never lose a crop. There will always be wine. There will always be the oil of the olive. The lambs will never be aborted. The calves will never be, be born dead or anything like that. And in livestock, think about it. I have helped pull calves. I've helped do all kinds of things. Think about it. God says you will never lose a calf. You'll never lose a lamb. You'll never lose a crop. I will bless you so that the world sets up and says, my soul, look at what God is doing. And that's what God wants to do in our church today so that it it touches the hearts and the lives of people around us. People want to be a part of God doing something. When I moved to Emmanuel 83, we found a church up in South Dakota needed help. And so we decided to do a mission trip there. They'd never done a mission trip. I'd never done a mission trip. We just said, we'll do what God wants us to do, go and help this little congregation in Hot Springs, South Dakota. We did things that was unbelievable. Had one little lady, she would say, Brother Randall, we can't do that. I'd say, why, Miss Felty? Because that's not the Baptist way. And I say, it's not the Baptist way. No, it's not the Baptist way. And I say, Miss Felt, it may not be the Baptist way, but it's God's way. You see, sometimes when God wants to bless us, we have to get out of our comfort zones and we have to get out of our easy chairs and begin to say, Lord, whatever you want to do, we will do it. So one thing she was having a hard time with, the ladies and the people of our team is going, we carried 40 some odd adults up there. And to raise the money to help that little church, 
they said, let's have a garage sale. We had this humongous garage sale, had a big auction, had a, had a bake sale. We had people dressed up in howdy do well, I don't remember if it was howdy-doody costumes or what. We had people dressed like clowns, stood there on the street honking and waving at people and so forth. People pull in, what are you doing? We're raising money to go help a church in South Dakota. Well, I don't want anything, but here's $100, put it in. One lady walked in one day, tears rolling in her eyes. She said, I brought this to put in on the mission trip. And I said, what is it, Ruth? She said, it's it's some money. And I said, okay. She said, I work with so-and-so who's the dentist. This man came in, and while he was there, the dentist said, Ruth, tell him what you're fixing to do in a few weeks. So I told him what I was going to be doing. Now, keep in mind, this guy's got a mouth going, dentist, working on him, and so forth. Can't say a word. And so Ruth tells him what they're going to be doing. The guy gets out of the dentist chair reaches up and takes out a blank check, and he said, Doctor, I was going to use this check to pay you. You'll have to bill me. And he wrote a check for $800 and gave it to Ruth and said, Put that in to help that church up there. You never know what God's going to do. And here she was coming to, to turn that check in so we could use it to help those people in that little bitty church in South Dakota. And tears were in her eyes. Because of what God was doing. It changed her life. It changed the lives of other people. Some people came, walked through that garage sale, and we were doing car washes, we were doing bake sales, all kinds of things. And people walk up and say, Baptists don't do this. Well, Baptists did. And we saw God work in ways that were beyond our wildest dreams, and God changed the whole spirit of our church. One guy came up and he said, I don't have anything you have that I want to buy, but said, here. And he put a couple of hundred dollar bills into a jar there that explained what the, the, the thing was all about. He said, I want to be a part of what God is doing in a church that's doing something for God. Do you hear what Jesus was saying to the disciples? You ask, it shall be given. You seek, you shall find. You knock, it shall be opened unto you. If a father knows not to give a, a, a poisonous viper, a serpent to his child who's asked for, for something to eat, Jesus said, if you being evil, know not to do these things. Think what the Heavenly Father wants to do in your church. Think what the Heavenly Father wants to do in your life. In your life. I was standing in the foyer of our church one day, and this lady walked up and had this biggest smile on, my, on her face. She said, I just want to thank you for praying for me. And I said, you're welcome. What did I pray for? She said, you remember I asked you to be praying for me? I had some decisions to make. I said, yes. She said, one of them was to quit smoking. I said, really? She said, yes. And I looked at her, and I said, I never knew you smoked. Now, that just shows you how bad my sense of smell is. All those nose sprays for allergies and so forth have just ruined my sense of smell and so forth. I can eat nearly anything in the world and it tastes good today because my sense of smell is just about gone. But the point is, as, as this lady was there and as she was telling me about this, she said, I did what you said. I trusted God and I said, God, would you take away my desire to smoke? And she said, Brother Randall, I went to bed one night. I'd put out my last cigarette, and I woke up the next morning. 
and I had no desire for a cigarette at all. I said, have you gone through withdrawal? She said, no. The Lord set me free. And I hear, I'm here to testify about it. Folks, I want to tell you something now. This is personal. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not being braggadocious. I just want to, I want you, I want you to know something. My wife's sitting here on the back row. She's a back row Baptist. I don't know if we bumped somebody out of their place when we came in and sat down there. Sometimes there are holy places in churches you're not supposed to sit because that belongs to brother so-and-so or miss so-and-so or whatever. Well, we just plopped down today. So if we're in your place, please forgive us for it. August 16th, 2006, I came through Cooper at 90 miles an hour at lunchtime, rushing her to Baylor Hospital because she had developed a brain bleed. Deep in the middle of her brain, just above the brain stem, was a blood pool about the size of a quarter. And the doctor had told me, you need to get her to a neurosurgeon as fast as you can so he can relieve the pressure, possibly. And I said, can you get the ambulance? They said, no, you have to go to Paris Regional Emergency Room. They'll admit you. They'll work it up, and then they'll make the determination. I said, no, it takes three hours to get in the ER. I can have her to Baylor in an hour and 15 minutes. I came through Cooper at 90 miles an hour. My oldest son had said, Daddy, you get in that pickup. You turn on your flashers, and you drive like a car thief getting out of town. <laughs> and I did. We spent seven weeks in Baylor Hospital. She had four neurological surgery-type procedures done. Finally, at the fifth week, we found what the trouble was. She had a 1.3-centimeter brain tumor that was down above the brain stem. In the sixth week, they went in, and they tried to remove that brain tumor, but they couldn't do it. They had already put a shunt in her head at the fourth week. And so as a result, they couldn't do it because the roots come out of the brain stem. And as they come out of the brainstem, our doctor said, I would not dig in there for anything because it would kill her or she'll have lifelong consequences. And so as a result, he said, with her, her age, with the shunt and so forth, they shouldn't have any more problems. So we came back to Paris, went to her family doctor. And as the years went by, some of you, anybody remember Dr. Serber? Yes. Dr. Serber was our family doctor. And every time she'd go in, he'd say, Pat, how's your brain? A lot of people have asked her that, how's her brain, for years because she married me. What's wrong with your brain? Well, he would ask her that, and on this particular time, she said, Dr. Serber, I think it's getting better. He said, why do you say that? She said, because I can bend over and pick up one of the grandkids' toys, and I don't get a brain freeze headache. And he said, when's the last time that they checked that tumor? She said, when I left Baylor. He said, let's do it. Send her to the radiology clinic. They did a CAT scan, <clears throat> took care of everything. The next morning, he called her about 7.30 in the morning. We're getting ready for breakfast. She talks to him, comes back, has tears in her eyes. She said, that's Dr. Serber. And I said, what did he have to say? She said, he said that the lining on my brain is perfect. The swelling is gone. The fourth ventricle is straight. And they cannot find my brain tumor. And she looked at him, or she said, do you mean not, it's gone? He said, that's what I'm telling you. She said, did Jesus take it away? He said, that's what I'm telling you. And he said, I don't get to make this phone call very often. 
They had the pictures. All the radiologists looked. They had the pictures from Baylor of that tumor. They took their pictures, and it's non-existent. Folks, please hear what I'm fixing to say. I don't know why God took it away from us. We're not any better than you are because there are those of you who've had loved ones who've been sick. You've prayed for their healing. You've prayed for their restoration and so forth. And God may have said no because he used that disease or he used that situation as the method by which to take your loved one home. I'm not saying that I'm a super saint. We're just Randall and Pat Scott. I grew up in West Texas at Sandy Land. You grew up down here where there's black dirt. We're just everyday people. But you see, God wants to do things as a testimony to the world around us because sometimes people will say, well, God's not alive. God's not real. God's not doing anything. Folks, listen, we can stand and tell you what God has done. And we saw it happen in our church at Emmanuel. One Sunday, I didn't preach at all. God told me to keep my mouth shut. But we had five different people who came and stood that God had done miraculous things of healing in their lives. And it was unbelievable. We weren't broadcasting it. We weren't going laying hands on people. We weren't anointing with oil or whatever. We just put it in God's hands to let God do what he wants to do. And God says, here, I'm going to bless you in this manner. Do you hear what Jesus was saying to his disciples? If you being evil know how to do these things, think what the Father wants to do for you. God wants to bless his church. God wants to bless his individuals, each of us. But God won't do it if we don't let him. If we harden our hearts to the Lord, God cannot bless us like he wants to. Because many times what we do, we live by our own situations. We don't want to be people of faith. We live by our own understandings. And we miss out on what God wants to do. We have a little grandson named Parker. And Parker's a neat little guy. And he comes to our house quite often. And uh, he was at our house one day. I was in the computer room. He was sitting over there playing some things. He looked at me and he said, Granddaddy. What time is lunch? And I said, it's at 12 o'clock. He said, what time is it now? And I said, it's about 15 minutes till 12. Oh, okay. So he goes on playing. I'm finishing some stuff. And a few minutes later, he said, Granddaddy, what time is it now? And I said, Parker, it's 15 minutes after 12. He said, after 12. And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, Granddaddy, we missed lunch. Now, there's a principle that's there. We want God to bless, but so many times we get involved in other things. Our focus comes away from what God wants to do in our lives. And we want to live life our way. Or we have our own agendas of what we want to accomplish. Isn't it sad that so many of our Baptist churches are so small and and they're losing membership? Because of the way that many people in the church have acted. Had a search committee talk with us some years ago from West Texas. That church had averaged 400 to 450 in attendance for years. 
And their attendance had dropped all the way down to on a good day. They had 150 people there. And I finally found out through a woman who had been one of the secretaries there. Her husband was on the search committee. And she told me, he said, the reason people quit coming is because the deacons ran the church. The pastors couldn't do anything. The reason we lost our last three pastors is because they stood up to the deacons and the deacons said, we don't need you, and off they went. In churches, there are these power structures that go on all the time, different groups trying to do this or that. There's a song that a friend of mine recorded some years ago. It's one of my favorite songs. And the name of the song is playing games at the foot of the cross. And the words go something like this. We have heard the story many times before, how the soldiers gambled for the robe of the Lord. As they gambled at the foot of his cross, they were totally unaware of the sin in the draws. For they were playing games at the foot of the cross. We must not be quick to judge them. Because we are so slow to see that the games that we play are those that get, are played by you and me. While we fight for position in the church of God, the world goes on dying without the Savior's blood. Because we're playing games at the foot of the cross. So close to his struggle, yet so far from the cost. Never feeling any shame, never sensing the blame. We're just playing games at the foot of the cross. One of the reasons God cannot bless us is because we don't live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because the scripture says, he who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Churches, learning to walk by faith and live by faith. God's people living by faith. Letting God be who he wants to be in our hearts and in our lives. God can't bless us if we don't walk by faith. God can't bless us as individuals. He can't bless us in our homes. When God's people, now I'm going to assume, and I hope this is a dangerous assumption. Please understand what I'm saying. I'm not judging you, but I'm just sharing information with you. It's understood in a Baptist church that about 20% or 25% of our people attend. Financially in our churches, it is said that 20% carry on the financial load of the church and the 80% of the membership carry the 20%. I was sharing this with Emmanuel Baptist Church when I was its pastor. We were adopting a budget that was a little over $600,000 for that year. And I made the statement to the people, do you realize if that's true, that 20% give 80% and so forth. If 20% give 600,000, what would 100% be of the membership? And you take 600,000 
and multiply it by five, and you have what? Six million dollars. Malachi raised the question, will a man rob from God? God says, sure you do. Malachi says, how? He says, in your tithes and your offerings. Bring your tithes to the storehouse, that there may be meat within my house, and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so much upon you, you can't receive them all. Do you realize how many people are dependent upon your giving, my giving? Missionaries who sue of rebel seas, people here in our state of Texas, in the Baptist General Convention of Texas that you're part of, do you realize that through your cooperative program dollars, every day you are helping over 10,000 children across our state through our children's homes, through the ministries of Buckner's International Benevolences. You are helping unbelievably thousands of people. You're helping young women come away from aborting their babies. You're helping Helping young men who surrender to God's call in ministry and young women who hear God's call to ministry. You're helping sick people. When I was at Baylor, there was a lady who walked in whose son had been injured in an accident. He had just left one job, was going to another job and to sign the papers. He had canceled his insurance with this job. 30 minutes later, as he leaves off the set seven or Central Expressway to go up a mockingbird to the business he's going to work with. A lady clips the back of his motorcycle and he wrecks. He has head trauma and his mother is sitting there. She said he has not one penny of insurance. What are we going to do? And that young man was there in ICU for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And one day that mother saw me. She walked in and tears were flowing. She said, oh, let me tell you what God's done. Let me tell you what God has done. I said, what's that? She said, the people of Baylor have come. They've talked to me and they have decided my son's bills are paid for. Who paid for them? You and I did through cooperative program giving and ministry to heal, to help. Ministry to reach out to people. But if we don't walk in faith... If we hold back, which people get the help and which ones don't? You see, that's what Jesus was saying. And he was saying, I want to bless your heart. I want to bless your life more than you can possibly receive. Imagine it. Think what God wants to do for you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. At our house, out on the back entryway, we had some plumbing problems a number of years ago. The people who had built the house had laid a slab there on top of the plumbing line. We had to bust the slab and get rid of it. So we came and used some decorative tile and put the tile there. Well, we had to readjust that tile. We had to readjust that tile. And I've done it twice, but now as I've gotten older, I've begun to realize it takes me a whole lot longer to get up and down for that tile. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I hired my two oldest grandsons. One's a senior in high school. The other one's a freshman. And they came over, and they helped me a week ago yesterday. We worked all day. They first said, Granddaddy, this is an easy job. It didn't take but just a little bit to take all these over here, these tiles, and, and stack them. I said, boys, that's the easy part. The hard part is now we've got to level all this dirt and get it all fixed. 
we worked, and they worked like little Turks from about 9 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock that evening. My oldest grandson the other day said, Granddaddy, I was so tired. I didn't care if those tiles were level or not. Just get them in there. And I said, you're right, Ryan. Pat said, what are you going to pay them? And I told her what I was going to pay them. I said, it would cost me a whole lot more than that if I had somebody come in commercially do it. But she said, do you think that's a little bit much? I said, no, these are our grandchildren. And when I put those bills in their hands, they looked at me and said, thank you, granddaddy. Why did I do it? Because I love them. I want to help them. I want to bless them. And my oldest one, I looked at him when we were finishing up. I said, Ryan, you do this about two or three more times. You can start your own business doing this. And he looked at me and he said, Granddaddy, I may start the business, but I'm not doing the work. <laughs> Listen, do you, know, do you not realize how much God loves you and what he wants to do in your life? He wants to bless you beyond measure so that the world sets up and says, doggies, look at what God's doing at East Delta Baptist Church. Ooh, doggies, look what God is doing in these people's lives. Look what God is doing. For God is alive and well, and He wants to bless His children. Will you let Him bless you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your love and Your grace. And Lord, thank You for Loving us so much, you sent Jesus into the world to give himself on the cross of Calvary for our sins because you so love us. And Father, as we understand this love, you want us to know you in your fullness. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who's never given their heart to Jesus, that, Father, this will be the time they will do so and they will say yes to you. They will say yes by turning from their sin, placing their faith in you, and surrendering their hearts and their lives to you as they make you the Lord of their life. Father, I pray that if there are Christians here who for whatever battle they're struggling with, this will be a time they will allow you to enter into that area of their life and to give them your peace and your strength, knowing that you will handle that situation for them and with them. They never have to walk that valley alone. And Father, I pray that if there's those here who are looking for a church home and they're looking for a place to serve you, Lord, I pray this would be the time they will say yes to you because you brought them here this day. And Father, they have talents and gifts and abilities you want them to use in being a part of, of this church's ministry and, and their lives through the community as they go about their daily activities. You want to bless them. Father, I pray for an outpouring of your Spirit in this place today so that when the service is said and done, Everyone walking away will say, boy, wasn't it good to be in the house of the Lord. Not because of the preacher, but because you're here, Father, and your spirit 
reigns within this place. So, Lord, we surrender our will, our purposes, our goals, our games unto you that you might bless us and that we might be the people of God you would have us to be. Bless the invitation to come. May this be a time of which people come and make public decisions or come and kneel at this altar and pray or, or come with one another and pray about matters that are, are working in their lives. Father, just do your work in this place. Father, thank you for loving us. And with your head bowed and with your heart praying, in a moment we're going to be standing, we're going to be singing, Dylan's going to be here at the front to receive you. If you have a decision you want to share with him, I'll be here at the side if you want me to pray with you or whatever the need may be. But the Holy Spirit is speaking. Don't say no to him. Say yes. And let God bless you this day. Let's stand to our feet quietly and reverently. And as we sing, would you come?